Namaste and welcome to the Modern Mystic Podcast where we are exploring the mystical in the mundane and the magic in the present moment, bringing you ancient tools and technologies into modern day living, yoga, mythic and healing conversations with expert and visionary powerhouses sharing their stories and secrets with you to help you live an inspired life. My name is Kilkenny, and today we have Natalie Levin, who is a professional astrologer, opera singer, and yoga teacher who offers one-of-a-kind workshops, performances, and private astrology readings. Her anacronym for her business is yoga, Y for yoga, O for opera, G for glitter, and A for astrology. Glitter because in person, if you so desire, she will dust you with a smattering of glitter on your cheeks and her words and wisdom always leave you with a glow and a sparkle on the inside out. Though I've been in the professional yoga world for several decades, I have yet to meet someone with this extremely unique skill set. Namaste and welcome, Natalie, to the Modern Mystic Podcast. Thank you so much. That was such a beautiful introduction. (laughs) <laughs> well, definitely, definitely. Just a just a hair of what you really offer, which is so incredible to this world. Thank so, you. Natalie, what does it mean to be a modern mystic to you? Um, it's interesting that you use the word mystic because just this year I had a session with another um, astrologer, mystic person, um, Jost van Dyke is his name, and he used the word mystic to describe me as well. And I was like, oh, I never thought of that. I never u- would have used that word to describe myself. And now I'm falling more into it and softening into it. And modern mystic is I am both a householder and living a very on earth practical life with a four year old and a wife. And um, I own a home. And at the same time, I feel connected to everything that is beyond the veil. So, and I want my hope and wish is that I can be a connector for others to remember what is beyond the veil. Um, So that is quite an interesting combination to have to actually do my life in the three-dimensional world and also continue to hold very close the fact that I am a spirit having a physical experience. So beautiful. I love how you identified this thing that we modern mystics aspire to straddle, right? The householder life. Mm -hmm. And then as you put it beyond the veil, and when you say veil, what do you mean by veil? Like, what does that mean to you? Um, For me, the veil is... (laughs) It's most of us, myself included, um, I can't really see with my eyes what is what I know to be beyond like I'm in a bedroom right now and I'm beyond what the walls I see four green walls and a bed. And yet I know that if I were to turn some sort of a switch, I would see myself floating on a cloud in um, and my spirit so expansive 
that and an experience of such divine delight and love um that is what is behind be, behind the veil beyond the veil that i'm it's very hard for us to remember when we're in our 3d lives does that answer mm-hmm. your question it does. I love the word remembrance. You use that now several times, mm. that idea of remembrance, right? Because mm. as mystics, we practice and we forge different practices and scaffoldings for this purpose of simply remembering, mm-hmm. right? Remembering what we've forgotten and, and remembering what possibilities there are mm-hmm. beyond this three-dimensional world and also within the three-dimensional world. So really, really beautifully articulated. I, I know with mystics, I think a lot about ritual and the ways that we physicalize on the outside, what we desire on the inside and create conditions to dramatize this in forms of rituals and enactments mm. of what we're trying to cultivate, like in our psyches and our hearts. And it seems to me you do this with glitter. Like when I've mm. experienced your the glitter factor, because I love, again, those four parts of your acronym. Can you talk to us? Is that a ritual to you? The <laughs> glitter? And can you, just, can you describe that to our, to our listeners who may not have experienced this, this really powerful um, act that you bless people with in your presence if they so desire? Yeah. You, I am, I never have actually articulated how it came to be. Um, this will be a first on your first podcast is that when I, was living in New York City. And I remember I was rollerblading all over the city. And I remember um, I was probably 21 or 22. And I had started, I was rollerblading all the way down to the Bowery, which was very far from where I was living up on. And I I don't know, I don't know where I was living at that time. But they suddenly people somewhere you could get this beautiful glitter that was sold at a little store called Ricky's, which you actually probably know this because you lived in New York. Um, I don't know if you remember Ricky's, but you don't have to comment right now. But Ricky's was selling this little, delicate, powdery, ethereal glitter. And I've always loved things with small particles. Like I love rice and kasha (laughs) (laughs) and beads, little beads. And one of my Jungian analysts suggested that it's because it's easiest for me to digest things in small pieces Mm. something symbolic about that and so I started to put glitter on my face because it felt representative of the ebullience and delight I was feeling in my life at that time Um, and I kept wearing it on my face and it started to become a thing like in the outer world in, in society, but I was doing it before it was. And I think that I, one day I taught a workshop here in the Philadelphia area and I, a yoga workshop. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to put on, it was like a Mardi Gras workshop. And I put a ton of rainbows on my face, which I have had never done as well. I'd never taught looking like I was in some sort of costume and glitter was involved as well. And then I, people were like, I want some of that. Like some of the students were starting to ask for glitter as well. I want some glitter too. So I was like, oh, okay. I have, I always carry glitter with me. And I went and I would bring the glitter out and start to like put it on their faces a little bit. And then I had to increase the amount that I was bringing with me to teach. And it eventually, what it feels like to me is when I walk into the room and the students are there and they're 
wondering what's going to happen. And especially if they're new to me and they've never taken my workshop, um, it feels like uh, a real softener of any sort of super duper serious energy that is coming in like, oh, I'm going to do a quote unquote yoga workshop now and I'm going to work really hard and study and learn. And I think that's all fabulous. And can I, I'll talk for myself, can I do these serious things while keeping the lightness, keeping the, the sukha, the sweetness while I'm doing the shira, the, the, the hard work, the difficulty. And when I eventually, usually, even if people don't want glitter, they end up with it on them at the end of my sprinkling it on everyone. It is such a beautiful sight to see the entire room sparkling like fireflies. And it also, for me, holds the energy of Sagittarius, which Sagittarius is mutable fire. So one could picture putting a burning piece of paper in one's hand and then blowing on the piece of paper and the embers fly out into the sky like fireflies. And that is what the room starts looking like. And Sagittarius is the energy of the teacher. It's the energy of higher learning. It's the energy of uh, ebullience and expansiveness. So it feels like some sort of transformation happens when this uh, earthly ritual of glitterizing whoever would like to be glittered occurs at the beginning of a practice. <laughs> There's so many amazing, um, amazing gems that you just laid out. And so I just want to honor a few of them that stood out to me and perhaps the listeners. First of all, I love the, the notion that you were wearing glitter, like as a personal ritual practice, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. And t- at least to me and my experience, that's so much about what being a modern mystic is, right? It's finding and creating ritual that connects and pierces that veil that allows us to bring magic into the mundane. And that's not going to look like, you know, what it is for me necessarily exactly for you for sure and might not look at all, right? And so to be a modern mystic, I love that idea and that you were really reclaiming that for yourself, uh, that ritual and I just love encouraging people to, to find things because don't you think we can get so stuck in feeling like we have to do ancient and prescribed rituals, which of course at times have meaning and value. And often those can be even launching points into more, you know, um, creative modern rituals. Um, but at the same time we can do both. And I think that's so beautiful. You were doing that. Yeah. Unconsciously. I didn't know, like, I wouldn't have been able to articulate that to you in my 20s. But yes, I absolutely agree mm-hmm. with you. And you also mentioned um, the, the words sukam and stira. And I just want to acknowledge these words because they're very profound. And they are, they are a beautiful sutra, it's called, um, which means like an aphorism, a spiritual aphorism in the Sanskrit language of yoga. And it's one of the most famous. It's, it's, it was written by Patanjali who was a great yoga teacher, one of the OG yoga teachers, philosophically. Mm-hmm. And he said, stira sukham asana. And it's, and it's how the practice of the physical postures, asanas, and even really the practice of rituals and meditation and really every moment of our lives, right, should be this beautiful aspiration of balance between 
ease and effort. And you, what were the words you used? Do you recall? Oh, they were slightly like different sweet, than mine. Sweetness. Um, no, wait. Uh, mm-hmm. So can I, can I keep some lightness? Can I keep some, can I touch it all with a, a, a light touch so it doesn't have to be so serious and heavy all the time? I love that. It's so profound because even in meditation and different philosophies, particularly Tantra, which is one of my personal backgrounds and passions, Mm. there really is an emphasis on being creative when you meditate, Mm. being keeping a lightness, keeping a playfulness, keeping a sense of, of Leela, of openness, like you're saying, and, and not being heavy handed or dogmatic, mm-hmm. but really seeing what that creative inner and spiritual energy wants to do. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. I love how you put it. It's lightness. And you mentioned Sagittarius, and I'm so excited for our listeners to have a download about astrology. Mm-hmm. You are such a master in this arena and I love to hear you already talked, you know, and, and touched on the Sagittarian energy yeah. and one aspect of it. But let's start from this place of for those listeners who don't have much or really any exposure to astrology or those listeners who are skeptical as to what is astrology? <laughs> OK, well, I think it helps me to think of it as when And I invite your listeners to take what they like and leave the rest. And I also invite your listeners to keep in mind that I'm talking about astrology through the veil of my personal experience in this one lifetime. And if it doesn't mesh for them, that's okay. Um, What I, how I see astrology is when my soul chose to incarnate, chose to incarnate is Italian for flesh. So I'm incarnate, I'm putting myself into the flesh. My spirit is enfleshing itself. I chose a specific blueprint for my soul that is what the planet's positions were in the heavens the minute I was born. And those planets all have an an energy about them. Um, We could call it, uh, I, I, we could call them archetypes. We could call them energies of our psyches, emotions, potential energies. And when I was born, each planet, not just the sun, but Pluto and Neptune and Uranus or, and, um, you know, there's so many planets. We're all in a certain place when I was born and for each of the listeners as well. And with that blueprint, I am living my chart. So what it feels like to me when I can see my chart, it feels validating of my journey. It feels encouraging. It feels like there are, um, opportunities for me to take the higher vibrations of certain planets. Um, And it also, for me, is quite shame-reducing to see my blueprint of my chart and say, oh, wow, it is not through any... I am not to blame. It's not my fault that I have struggled having emotional stability in my life. It is not my fault that I have tended towards suicidality. It is in my chart that that is so. And with that, it really allows me to have more lightness towards life because it doesn't feel like something that I 
like I'm doing wrong in this lifetime. It actually is like, I'm actually doing my chart and I'm still here and I'm doing such a great job. Mm. I'm not sure if that answered your question, but what is astrology? It was, was, I love it because it's so personalized. Mm. Um, Mm. And I love when you called it a blueprint because I think that's really helpful to, Mm. to to know. Mm -hmm. Um, a blueprint, a scaffolding, like a structure. Mm -hmm. And then it sounds like from what you're saying, then that blueprint is there's like the structure, but then can you speak about like free will? And because obviously an architect, that beautiful word blueprint, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the building, the structure looks different than it does on paper. So can you speak to that, please? Free will and how does that all play in? Yes. If there's a certain architecture. Yes. So um, for me personally, I have a Pisces sun and a Pisces, uh, the way I communicate, I'm a Pisces, let's say it that way. Pisces is related to, among other things, um, creativity, artistry, connection to the divine. Um, Also, the shadow side of Pisces is the victim mentality, laziness, addiction, um, sloth. <laughs> um, and this is where free will comes in simply around my sun sign. So I am a Pisces. I do tend towards, and also depression. I tend towards depression. I can tend towards sleepiness and um, I do tend towards addiction. Can I use my free will to use tools. And and for me, those tools have been billions of dollars worth of therapy, 12-step programs, trauma work, to be able to choose the higher vibration of my Piscean sun sign. That's where the free will comes in. It is a tendency. It's a possibility that I could be landing more in the shadow side, but we do have the ability to... uh, we decide ultimately free will. I, I believe this free will and love Trump astrology. So there is that as well because yeah, period. (laughs) (laughs) I love free will and love, right? Mm -hmm. They trump most things, Mm -hmm. everything. And that's so beautiful and profound. I love how you talked about, you know, a sign and it having, you know, the shadow side and then a way you can make it a skill set and something to rise and grow into mm-hmm. and harness. Can you please talk to the the listeners about when you say like your sign, because so often, right? Like if you, if you made a, a post uh, or an advertisement, um, you know, for a date, you'd say, oh, I'm looking for a date and this is my sign. And, <laughs> you know, these are my traits and, you know, in, in the, in the, Western world, we use this sign, quote unquote, what's your sign? Mm-hmm. Can you speak a little bit about that? Is that, what is, what is that exactly, please? And is that the most important thing? Is that the only thing we need to know? Mm. Um, I feel when I hear people, ask, often I'll have clients, astrology clients tell me, oh, I'm dating this, I'm dating this woman. She's a, she's a Taurus. Um, is that good for me? The thing is about that's so that's what general the general folk know is their sign. Like I know I was born from between February 21st and March 21st ish. And that means I'm a Pisces. So most people know their sun sign. The sun is um, the sun changes astrological sign 
which is Aries, um, Taurus, Gemini, every month. Um, not on the month as our calendar has it, but it's more like in the middle. So that's what most people know. They know their astrological sun sign. And that is a very important thing to know. However, there is so much more in your chart than simply your sun sign. So I know that you might have, let's say a listener has, knows that he's a Scorpio. Okay, that's great. You know that you're a Scorpio. Your son is in Scorpio. You were born on, let's say, November 10th. You're a Scorpio. However, when I look at your chart, you might actually have like five planets in the sign of Aries. You might have Uranus, Taurus, your moon, and Neptune, and another, and an asteroid in Aries. And you might have five planets in Pisces. So that would make you, if only your son were in Scorpio, I would actually think that you are much more Aries and much more Piscean than Scorpio. So it is really helpful. I've had it feel very validating to clients to learn that about themselves because they had never related to their sun sign like, oh, I think I'm a Libra, but they never related to the Libra horoscopes they were reading. So Mm -hmm. I think it's very while it's helpful and fun to have that kind of a conversation, oh, you're a Gemini. Oh, that's so fun. Oh, you're Sagittarius. Oh, I love Sagittarius. Blah, blah, blah. But there's so much more to everyone's charts that um, the sun sign is only the tip of the iceberg. The tip of the iceberg. And some of us have heard these terms, risings mm. and moons. And then I know you mentioned and laid down planets. Um, are they all like equally important? And then it becomes a product of you have more in one. So that really affects your personality. Mm-hmm. Or are there any like of the risings and the moons? Are they Do they have a little more weight? Your sun sign a little more weight or it just all depends? Mm. Um, well, one of the astrologers that I truly esteem, I he's been practicing, who knows, probably 50 years. His name is Michael Luton and he has written books. And he always says, when in doubt, go back to your sun sign. When in doubt, always go back to your sun sign. It is the sun that shines so brightly in our solar system. It is the sun that sheds the light on everything. So how can I, Natalie, shed the light of my Pisceanness on all on myself and those around me? So when in doubt, I would say, Yes, Kilkenny, that the sun is the most important thing to know about your chart. However, knowing your moon sign, which is your inner world and emotional world and how you process emotions is so helpful. And also your rising sign, which is where the horizon was when you were born. When you were born, the horizon was in a certain sign, in a certain astrological sign. And knowing your rising sign is also incredibly helpful because it is the, it's how people receive you in the world. It's how you, it's your people's first impression of you. It's also your rising sign is usually uh, talks about your physique. It's how you present physically to the world, how people. So that's also really helpful to know because for example, uh, if you're a Pisces sun, but your rising sign is Gemini, you might, people might perceive you as being much more chatty and social. Gemini is quite a social sign than Pisces is actually very introverted. And that might be an interesting conversation that 
I have to have for my whole life. Oh, wow. It looks like I'm really social. I'm really good at being social, but actually I really like to be alone. So that is a conversation that, again, can feel very validating to have seen and witnessed by an astrologer in your chart. Does that make sense? It completely makes sense. It's, it's so, I know my experience, um, and, and so many times it's been with you and your wisdom Mm. and just what you're saying, it's so validating and such, such a, um, arsenal of tools that you can then work with of self-knowing, which is so much about, you know, how, how to be a mystic and navigate this world. And I love that example you, you gave because, I know in my experience, there are times where I am very much one way, but maybe that way doesn't always serve me mm. to be my highest self. Mm. And, and that's what you're speaking to, right? So sometimes we have these tendencies, it seems like perhaps because of the flavors in our chart, and at, at moments they can serve us. And then at other moments, they could actually drain us or yes. be out of alignment. But because they're familiar and natural, those ways of being, um, we can move towards them, but they might not always be very um, self-serving, yes. you know, 100% across the boards is what yes. I hear you're saying. Yes. So great. So great. And for those listeners who aren't familiar with Western astrology versus Vedic astrology, can you speak to that? Like, because there are Vedic, you know, differences I've heard and, and then speak to, you know, what you are schooled in. And, and yes, in. I, I honestly am very unschooled in Vedic astrology. I have heard a lot of people say that they've had Vedic readings and they feel really um, wonderful. And they're very, it, it, for me, what, what I, the sense I get about Vedic astrology is it feels more, uh, Less, uh, this sounds very American, but less meat and potatoes and more flowery. <laughs> I don't know. That's the sense I get. I, I could be very wrong about that. For me, the Western astrology, it's a language that I really relate to. It feels um, really intuitive. I feel like I'm able to tap into, hmm, like almost channel the energy of the planets when I'm talking to clients. And I it feels really... It feels like a language I have known for many lifetimes and I'm remembering it in this lifetime. Hmm. And why is it called a science? Because Mm. you really do hear that it's called a science. And so for those people who are more intellectual or, you know, pragmatic and and they hear, oh, it's a science. Can you speak to that? Yes. Um, Well, when, when you see the way I was taught um, to start to study the planets was to first start to study astronomy and actually become interested in what is going on above me in the heavens as opposed to looking at it at it at it in a computer screen so these the astrology is based on scientifically studied orbits of the planets above and then there's this based on trial and error for many, 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 many years, I actually don't know the amount, but there is a potential energy, an energy that is associated with each planet that the Greeks used to pray to these planets, Saturn, that was one, I I believe Saturn is Zeus, um, 
Pluto is Hades. They used to pray to them. They have God energy in the ancient Greek times. And that Mm -hmm. energy, (sighs) I know the way I'm talking about it doesn't sound very scientific. Mm -hmm. And honestly, a lot of astrologers will say, we don't know why this works, but it works. Right. Well, I love how you talked about trial and error. And because isn't that science? I mean, first of all, science is of the outer world. Like to me, like, you know, the moon, it's a rock and we see it every day. How much more like scientific and concrete can you get? Our bodies are made of how much water? Like, you know, it's arguable, definitely over 70%. Some people say over 90%. Yes. I don't know exactly what the accuracy is, but it isn't in that range. So, you know, to me, it's like, if you think about it, right, the whole universe and our planet is being pulled on these very scientific, very, you know, quote unquote, proven forces, right? So why wouldn't they pull on us, you know, with our bodies being made of such a huge amount of water, Yes, of our bodies being made of the earth? Like to me, that's so overtly scientific you wouldn't act like things aren't happening to the moon and the sun and the waters i mean obviously there are people in the world who are doing that right now yes (laughs) but that's a whole nother podcast on the environment yes but you right so you know for us and i love how you spoke of you know the ancient peoples experimenting because that's what science is right like so many things that we know are true we don't really understand why they're true but we've tested them with studies and blind studies and this and that. So they become a truth because of the practice of them. Yes. We know that there's a certain result that's yielded. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, I hear you saying. Yes. Really, really fascinating. Just fascinating. And something I've noticed, and I'm wondering if you feel this way, it seems like there's a real resurgence of astrology. Like I was brought up um, with mild astrology throughout my childhood and through my teens and twenties, but I feel like there is right now this huge opening of consciousness back towards the scaffolding. Do you feel that way? Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, Well, we are moving from the age of Pisces, which is about a 2000 year cycle into the age of Aquarius. And it's a slow gear change between one and the next because there's such big cycles the age Aquarius energy rules every astrological sign is associated with different things and many, many, many different things. And Aquarius, the astrological sign is related to astrology. So as we move into the age of Aquarius, I believe that this is very connected, that people are actually remembering again that, oh, right, I can actually look to the planets for guidance. And, and I think that it also is becoming quite uh, pop culture-y to, to have, I mean, now there's apps that you can have on your phone to tell you what your sun, moon and rising sign are. And in my opinion, it is nothing like working with an actual human astrologer to help you learn about your chart. Hmm. So I hear that this information technology era that we're in, mm-hmm. um, you know, g- gives us all this access, right, to all this wisdom and all, all these things. And so all these things that we wouldn't be able to just have at our fingertips in the way of knowledge and the way of practices and the way of understanding, right, that's the upside. But like with everything, when we have experts and teachers and, and guides, right, then 
we're making sure that we're getting, you know, true quality and, and what's appropriate and wise for us. Yeah. Interesting. It's just so interesting what you said about the age of Aquarius too. Because I've wondered that, like you hear, you know, even the song, the dawning of the age of Aquarius, but is the, so there's no definitive date. Is that what I'm hearing? That's correct. Like when will we be definitely in it? Are we definitely fully in it now? Or it's just gray period. And is there a date that is um, delineated that, okay, on this date, it'll be officially the age of Aquarius. How does that work? <laughs> uh, so from astrology, uh, you know, um, astrology is quite like, the yoga world for those listeners who know the yoga world in that there in the yoga world, there's no one way to teach a pose. There's no one way to teach Trikonasana in astrology. There is no one way to look at the chart and the cycles. There's like a, I don't know if you read um, the, uh, or you know, the analogy of Plato's cave and Oh, Plato's Republic. I had to read that in undergrad. And it, in it, there's like this idea of this ideal uh, template of a circle in the world. And all the circles that we create uh, uh, that are separate from that template are all but shadows of the original template. So I am imagining somewhere there is an original template of the astrological wheel and the cycles. However, what we're working with here are shadows of it. They, we can't, it's ethereal, it's um, ephemeral. And so therefore, to answer your question, there is no definitive date. Some astrologers are saying 50, in 50 years, we will definitely be in the age of Aquarius. One astrologer is saying 150 years. Um, and the 150-year astrologer, his name's Kay Pacha, he's incredible, um, says we're really in the birth canal right now. Like we're not even... We haven't even reached the ring of fire yet. Mm. <laughs> so so uh, interesting. Yeah. So interesting. And I love how you're talking even about it as wheels, because I got this imagery, right, of the wheels. And of course, we're talking about planets and suns and moons mm. and circularity. And aren't we living in this time, right, where the vertical paradigms aren't working anymore, mm -hmm. right? Like we're seeing that the structures the patriarchy, all these more vertical perspectives, right, are, are collapsing or starting to. And so it just hit me when you were talking, right, wheel, circles, the wheel of astrology, right? We're, mm. we're, we're being ushered and, and really being midwives, like you said, with birthing so many things. So yes. it's such a, an exciting time to be alive. And what you said really makes sense in the articulation of why people are moving towards astrology more. And, and I love it because you also said about how, you know, people are, are starting to think about, Oh, the sun, the moon, this and that. And that's so much what it is to be a mystic. And especially in this, in this modern day era where we're so cut off, this is what I'm speaking of a lot. And part of my impetus to have this podcast is to really share, articulate, encourage, and illuminate the path of getting more connected back into earth-based, more nature-based, earth-centric practices, mm. multiverse-centric practices. Um, and yes. how you described it, right? Astrology really is that. You know, if we're living in a city and we're cut off and we're not paying attention to the moon, some people live their whole lives and have never noticed the moon. Mm. And yes. so it's such a beautiful um, scaffolding to start to open up that 
the eyesight of looking around at the natural world and its patterns to know more fully about ourselves because we're part of the, the world. And so in knowing the, the universe and nature, we know ourselves more fully. Can you please elucidate the moon sign, right? The moon is so dynamic. And so for so many of us, when we start to forge on this modern mystic path and start to pay attention to the outside world for these cues to then draft off in our life, the moon, because it's so dynamic, I think for a lot of people is a great entry and a great foray in because it's moving and changing. And we can notice that when we start to cultivate this art of attention. So would you mind speaking to your moon sign? Does it have to do with, you know, the emotions? And that's part of which I know, Mm -hmm. Um, but I'd love a a download of your wisdom. Okay. Um, Well, I really love this inquiry about the moon. And as we were talking about before, earlier in this podcast, We, uh, our physical bodies are made up of uh, about 75 to 80%, 85% of water. And the moon itself pulls on our oceans on planet earth and affects the tides. Therefore, it feels scientifically logical to me that the moon is going to very much affect us, our physical human bodies. Therefore, I would invite any listeners who are curious to work with the astrological energies that are in our charts to possibly look at the moon. And I don't know, you can find this on an app or you can go online and say, what astrological sign is the moon in today? And you can find out. So for example, the moon changes signs every two to three days. Therefore, um, when we are born, our the moon sign is one of the most quickly changing signs. So you might find that, for example, Kilkenny might have be born with a Taurus sun and her moon might be in Aquarius. And then if she were born just three hours later, her moon would be in Pisces. So it can really change during the course of 24 hours. And then we as an astrologer, I really think the moon is super duper important to identify how I process emotion and how, what, how to describe my emotional world, my inner world. Personally, I have, my moon is in cancer and cancer is extremely sensitive, extremely tender, very caring, very empathic and compassionate, and also can tend towards depression, can tend to pull, um, if I, if I'm working with a client that has a cancer moon, I'll say, Oh, you know, I, I think it's really important for you to have quiet time and go inside almost like the, the cancer crab going inside its shell. However, that can be um, challenging to work with. Cause is it, can I hold the tension between shutting down and shutting everyone out all the time and allowing myself to come out of my shell sometimes and actually be in the world and have a richer life. So that is really an immediate tool that I use to help clients to understand their own beings is the moon. Is that, is that clear the way I said that? Lovely. So what I'm hearing is the moon is associated really with our psyches and our emotional bodies, perhaps how we are even in intimate relationship too. Is that correct? Yes. Like with people who are most close to us. Yes. And so Natalie, having this information, you could have 
like you said, a Taurus sun sign. And so that would be and mean one thing, but knowing, okay, you have this influence, however, you have this, you know, spice, so to speak, of cancer and emotionally how you are in your internal landscape, how you are with the people most intimate to you in your life, that will have a different flavor. And so you can learn to work with that. Yes. I really find that understanding what my partners and friends moon signs are really helps me to be in relationship with those people. For example, if I happen to know that my partner has, let's say, a Taurus moon, and Taurus is the most um, fixed sign, the most it, it, the shadow side of Taurus is quite stubborn, then if I'm having an a conversation with my partner and my partner gets really stuck and isn't able to open up and see my point of view, it can feel much less personal when I say to myself, oh, my partner's having one of her episodes. She's having her Taurus moon episode. It's <laughs> almost like a migraine and it feels much less personal and much less, I get, I'm able to soften and be much less defensive around our relating. Does that make sense? This is so helpful. I know when I discovered my moon sign and all that that meant and the way I could utilize this to support myself and in relationship with the closest people around me, it was like someone turned a light bulb on to every mm. room of every relationship. Mm. Just like you said, just this understanding of, oh, this person is coming from this lens. This is yes. my lens. And when particularly when we're in that emotional sphere we can get so swept away in the waves of huge tsunami-like feelings. Yes. So you said it so beautifully. This architecture helps us pull back to be more of like in yoga speaks of the chit, the witness space, right? Mm. Where we're more conscious and we can view what's happening, almost like a movie happening in our life. And then we're enhancing our ability to respond, our responsibility, as opposed to just being reactive. And that's, of course, the the aspect and um, energy often we are most with the people who are close to us, right? Reactive, yes. whether yes. that's pulling in and totally not responding or overreacting, right? Yes. So interesting. Now, I know there are 12 quote unquote signs, correct? Yes, there are. That is correct. You know, there has been um, some talk about the fact that there's a 13th sign that has was discovered or is talked about lately. I do not ascribe to that at this point. Um, so with that in mind, I will say that there are 12 signs. And yes, you are exactly right about that. And what about the planets? How many planets it is said to influence us. Is it the full nine if we're including Pluto? Oh, yes. There are actually more than nine planets. I would actually say that we, if I wanted to, I could use not just planets, but also asteroids and stars in a chart. So if I were looking at your chart, for example, and I wanted to really expound and expand out and look at all these other influences besides simply the nine planets of our solar system, I could pull up uh, around like 400 more. I mean, as many asteroids as there are, which we actually don't know, um, as many that are named 
each of them astrologically actually has a significance. So I do limit my, when I'm doing a chart, when I'm looking at a chart, I really do limit my chart reading to the nine planets in our solar system, as well as a few other points that are really helpful for me to understand why a soul chose to incarnate, for example, or what a soul is here to enjoy. Does that answer your question? It does. So with the nine planets, would you be so kind as to elucidate their nine planets and just say a word or two that mm. represents the energy of each planet? Yes. Let's play that game. Okay. So we'll start with the sun, which is, I believe it fits 1.3 million Earths into it. If you were to, that's the size of it. So it has an incredible importance for us as astrologically. So I, we always look to where is the sun sign? Where is the sun in your chart? And the sun is, when in doubt, I say to clients, always go back to your sun sign. Like I always will go back to the fact that I am a Pisces because it is that light that shines the brightest. And then um, my sun, uh, my Piscean sun shines the brightest. And then we have... Venus, which is um, a gorgeous planet, and I look at her to see what your what is happening in your chart around love usually, and what we value in our society. We tend to call that money. We also look at Mars, which is the masculine energy and get up and go. It's sort of warrior energy, and the shadow side of it is fear. Is this making sense the way I'm talking about this? Great, keep going. Okay. okay. And then we have Jupiter, which into Jupiter, we could fit 1,000 planet Earths. Therefore, when I see Jupiter in a certain astrological sign for a client, I'll say, oh my gosh, you are so incredibly Geminian, for example, if you have Jupiter in Gemini, because it's such a big planet. And then we have Neptune, which is Poseidon, and he's the god of the under the water, and we don't even know what's deepest under the water in the oceans because we don't have machines that can go that deep yet. So they will be crushed by the pressure, but Poseidon can go down there. So when I see that, I'm like, oh, what is that person finding in the depths of the underwaters? And water relates to emotions and and also spirit. So that is really an interesting planet. And then we have the planet Uranus, which is shocks and surprises and earthquakes and lightning bolts. And I love Uranus because he comes along and he doesn't care what's going on, but he will wake you up. His purpose is to wake you up. Then we have Pluto and Pluto is the god of the planet of death and destruction. And then as a consequence, rebirth, like the golden phoenix rising up out of the ashes. And then we have the moon about which we spoke, we have Saturn, which is the planet of hard work and limits and structure and, oh, and Mercury. Mercury is the messenger of the gods and Mercury has no gender. The planet has no gender. It is a neutral gender. And I look to Mercury to see how the client happens to process thoughts, how the client's mind works and how the mind, the quiet client communicates. And then we do have Chiron, which is a planetoid. And Chiron is related to the wounded healer. And I always look at Chiron, it usually relates to in a person's chart, some sort of childhood wounding, some sort of um, pattern in childhood that was painful and didn't serve the client. 
And I look to that to see how is the client, can the client, will the client be willing to do the work to turn that poison, so to speak, into medicine for others and for his or her or their self. That felt Mm -hmm. like I, I talked so much, but did that answer your inquiry? I think this will be so incredibly educational for our listeners. Now, does Chiron influence the other um, energies of the planets and the signs in a way, like if it's not dealt with and worked with, Mm. does it influence the others in a great way if it is worked with? Like again, that, Mm. that, free will and how that manifests in our chart as we age and hopefully evolve. Well, Chiron can influence the other planets very, very much depending on where it is placed in relation to the other planets. So for example, if my sun, there are 30 degrees in every astrological sign. And if my planet sun is at zero degrees and Chiron happens to be at zero degrees then I, my life is going to be about the theme of Chiron, of being the wounded healer. I feel like I'll have much more of those themes in my life as I progress versus perhaps Chiron is just sitting out in Nowhereville in my chart and not touching any other planet. Um, it might not have as much of an influence and maybe people will be less... Mm, affected if they don't do their work, their chironic work. So where would Nowhereville, quote unquote, be? (laughs) Which degree is that? Oh, um, well, it depends on everyone's chart. Because for example, you, Kilkenny, might have planets in, uh, you might have planets in the sign of Scorpio, you might have planets in the sign of Aquarius, and you might have planets in the sign of Libra. However, if your Chiron is out in the middle of a a sign that I haven't mentioned, let's say Virgo all by itself. Um, it might just not have any other planets to speak to very loudly. Therefore it just might be hanging out there and not have as much of an influence on the rest of your, the conversation between your planets. Interesting. So what I'm hearing is how the placement is so important and you're talking Mm -hmm. about degrees and it sounds like mapping and back to that, um, that comparison of the astrology like a blueprint and it really speaks to the scientific nature you know when people think it's so out there how actually it's really is so scientific right there's degrees and if you look at a regular map speaking of like topography right we know there are all these degrees and placements and and it's similar to looking at one's chart yeah Yes. Yes. That amount of incredible detail. Yes. And I love how you talked about the old wounds and this this influence of Chiron because so much of being a mystic is being willing to go into those darker places, the places we don't even see. Yes. And you know, life brings them up for us, whether we want them to come up or not. And Absolutely. the modern mystic is willing to, to, to dance with these darker places within ourselves, to dance with the, the, the invisible darker places of spirit. Because, right, things that are visible often are dark. And even the moon, of course, shines yes. in the darkest night. So, so interesting and really psychological. Something yeah. that strikes me, I mean, I have, um, I always joke, I come from half of a family of psychologists. And then the other half are, are mystics. Mm. I, I just, when I think about this and, and integrate this into my life, 
to me, it feels so concrete, helpful, and dancing very closely to the psychological realm. Yes. Can you speak to that? Well, for me, the planets and astrological signs, the zodiac signs, all have um, archetypes associated with them. And when I, I mean, I've been in Jungian analysis as an analyzand for over 20 years. So when I'm, for example, I'm talking about Saturn um, in someone's chart, I could also be calling that the archetype of the father, the archetype of the hard worker, the archetype of um, of structure, of limits, of of boundaries, like it, and those are all things that I know exist in my own psyche. For example, my internalized father figure, like the. Jungian analysis would call it the animus. Um, and who is that? And is my internalized father kind? Or is he a, like a slave driver? Saturn can be any of those things in a person's chart, depending on where he lands. And also, do I have an, a structure that am I able to create structure for myself in my life through my own psychological process, I like i.e. Saturn? Or is it really mushy and all over the place and boundaryless? And could I invite Saturn um, to be more to help me create more structure in my life? Could I actually use the, the archetype of the planet to invite to to help me to use the higher vibration of the planet to help me in my regular life? Which is something that I like learned during therapy too. Interesting. So when we have a sense of our chart. And these different archetypes and our tendencies, all for the efforts of self-knowing yes. and self-growing, then we can also use this information to bring us back into more balance, it sounds like. like yes. Really help us to come into more balance. Because when yes. we're doing that work, that brings us back more into balance, like the psychological work does, then we are just more happy, fulfilled, content, and our gifts can shine more fully. Absolutely. Yes, I really find that. And, you know, I'm thinking about other archetypes that come up with the other planets. And one of the astrologers that I really love to uh, watch and to whom I listen to learn, his name is Rick Levine. So we have a similar last name. And he was talking recently about the planet Uranus and how Uranus is the archetype of um, the great awakener. Like, and that we all have these archetypes somewhere in our psyche and somewhere in our chart, but is my great awakener asleep? And the thing that is really incredible about Uranus, which happens to be having a lot uh, to put it mildly, a lot of influence on us as a species, on the human species right now, is that um, Uranus comes along and we can relate him to a lightning bolt. Um, you, you know, when people say, oh, I got struck by the thunderbolt and had this amazing idea. Like that's a, something I've seen in cartoons and like Bugs Bunny cartoons, or even um, like in the movie, The Godfather, when the Godfather, Mike, the young Godfather falls in love with his Apollonia in, in, in Sicily. They, they say, oh, he got stuck. He got struck by the thunderbolt. That's what it, it's like this 
explosion that just shakes your whole world up. You don't expect that to be happening. So lightning only happens when there are two incredibly polarized energies. That's Uranus. Uranus lightning happens when there's a very cold front and a very warm front. They come together and to resolve the polarity, Uranus comes and lights up the sky with lightning. Its purpose is to polarize or to, to, to neutralize the ions. So when Uranus comes for us in society, which is incredibly polarized right now, in terms of everyone has extremely opposite opinions, there's not much meeting in the middle, at least what I'm seeing in the world and commentary. Um, Uranus is extremely active for all of us right now. And he is coming, I don't know what it's going to look like, but some sort of a lightning bolt is coming for us maybe it's that like aliens are already here though they already announced that it seems like no one really cares but <laughs> i don't know what's going to be to wake people up but it's some something like that uranus is coming this great awakener this archetype of i'm here to create to neutralize the polarities and uranus doesn't care what it takes he also needs to bring up from the depths, the we can't possibly know what it's going to be because your the nature of Uranus is he brings up the deepest and darkest stuff that we don't even want to acknowledge exists in our psyches, and he digs that up to show it to us. So as a species, we're going through that, and it's something that also happens in everyone's chart. So it's a really amazing opportunity for awakening in one's particular lifetime. And so what I'm hearing is that collectively, there is obviously the same thing going on in the skies. So collectively, we can learn, okay, Uranus energy is really intense right now because of the positioning of the stars and the planets. And that's the case for all of us here living on earth. Mm -hmm. Then when we look and get that architectural snapshot of the moment we were born, Mm. thinking about, okay, then how am I going to interface and be affected and be in relationship with what we all are experiencing collectively? And then that might be really differently, correct? Because I remember one time you saying to me when there was something major going on um, about six months ago, Mm. oh, Kilkenny, a lot of people are feeling this intensity. And I was sharing a lot of people in my life were in my community. And you said, but it's not actually really affecting your chart that way at all. (laughs) And, you know, you can just not mention that. And I didn't because I didn't want to be obnoxious when I was feeling really quite connected and elated, but I could feel collectively most people weren't having that experience. And there wasn't anything particularly going on in my life that was different, but the energy I felt inside was just there was a different climate. Yes. And so can you speak to that, please? Well, the energies, while collectively we are having this Uranian transit, also the energies hit each of our charts individually differently because we all were born, none of us has the same exact chart. Even twins don't have the same exact chart. Something is slightly different in their charts. So when you were feeling fabulous and everyone else was like, oh my God, I want to die, they were, their charts were getting lit up in a much heavier way than yours. You were maybe, maybe for you, it was, it was like this energy of lightness and delight and joy and excitement. And that's simply because of the blueprint that your soul chose for this particular lifetime. And that's why it's so helpful to know what yours is. Yes. And how they interface my micro with the macro that we're all facing. Yes. So helpful. Now, when it comes to the different signs, I love the game we played where you gave 
the listeners and myself that quick download of each planet and what that yes. archetype energy is. Would you mind doing the same for everybody for the 12 quote unquote signs? Sure. Um, I love, they're also amazing. Uh, Aries energy for our listeners who are Aries. Aries energy is the first energy of the zodiac it is the birth it's the the beginning it's it's actually before the birth it's it's like the potential energy of a little bud just peeking its head out of the soil and we don't know is it going to become a carrot or a rose we actually don't know so it's this potential energy it's this kinetic energy aries energy is without aries energy in the world nothing would be accomplished however the shadow side of Aries energy is it can be quite aggressive, quite angry and violent and warring. So that's the shadow side of Aries energy. Now, I'm not saying that the listeners who are Aries are all of those things that I just described. However, they're probably energies with which they have worked in their particular lifetimes. So that's Aries. And then we have the gorgeous, beautiful Taurus energy, which is fertile. It is that is more, that's birth. That's birth. Taurus is birth. It's creative. It's gorgeous. It's luxurious. It's the joy of being in a human body. It's delight in good food. And if you drink good wine, and then the shadow side of Taurus is I am stuck. I am never changing. I am digging my heels in. I am stuck completely in the physical and can't even begin to imagine that there's any spirit more than anything that I can see in this 3D universe. Geminis, for our Geminis, we have this incredible ability to access words, to process data, to communicate, to write and it's such a fast moving mercurial sign. And the shadow side of Gemini is it gets really scattered. It can't quiet the mind. It's which way am I going to go? It's hard for it to find stability. It can feel really um, all over the place. It's like the opposite of Taurus. It, it's right next to Taurus. So it usually embodies the opposite of Taurus. And then we have Cancer. And the Cancer energy is, oh, the, the maternal, loving, unconditional mother love. I am caring for you. I am here that have, have some more to eat. Oh, delicious. Yum, yum. And then the shadow side of Cancer is um, super codependency, um, really getting stuck in what other people, like, can I, oh, I have to care about everyone else and I lose myself in the process. Cancer energy is also can get really stuck um, in retreating and it's so sensitive that it doesn't even dare to go out and feel what can be felt by being a human being. Leo energy, we speak of Leo is, um, oh, I'm here. I Leo is the sun. It's the energy of the sun. It's ruling planet is the sun. And so Leo comes out, Leo energy shines. It is golden. It is so bright. It's usually comfortable on stage or being in front of a bunch of people. And the shadow side is actually Leo can be quite shy and when it comes to one-on-one because it doesn't actually want to share its inner world with others. It's shy. It's like, it comes out as this lion roar, but when we actually want to sit down and get to know the inner world of the lion, the lion might not feel comfortable sharing that with you. It'll let you know its vulnerability. So that would be the shadow of Leo. We have Virgo. Virgo is this amazing, um, 
the energy of Virgo is Michael Luton has said he's an astrologer. I think I mentioned him earlier and he is, you're, you're a cobbler and you're working on your shoe. It's the shoe is between your feet. This is the energy of Virgo and you're sewing it so delightfully and delectably and you're putting, making it beautiful and it's artistic yet incredibly practical. And the attention to detail is immense. That's the energy of Virgo. It's attention to detail. It's getting things in order, tasks, one thing at a time. And the shadow side of Virgo is it can be so focused on one thing that it loses the ability to expand. It loses the ability to be bigger then um, like the, but the opposite energy of Virgo is Pisces. So it's, it loses the ability to connect with spirit, to connect with all that is, it just gets so laser focused. Um, is this, is this helpful the way I'm talking about this Kilkenny? Oh, it's sumptuous. Keep okay. going. Okay. Okay. So then we're back, we're up to Libra, which I know that Kilkenny is, you're a Libra, right? You're a Libra sun. Libra right? sun. You're a Libra sun. Okay. So we are the energy of Libra and the energy of Libra is wants to create balance. It is related to being the artist. It is related to, um, it is related to business to not to money. And it Libra energy is also really tends to care very, very much what other people are. Is everyone here? Okay. It's not quite like Cancerian, like that sensitive water energy Libra is air. So it's like, is everyone okay? Can I make sure everyone is cared for? And the shadow side of Libra is that in caring to make sure that everyone is balanced around Libra, Libra forgets to check in with herself and say, how am I doing? What do I actually want in all this? Do I, am I able to identify what I want? And Libra might not be able to identify what she wants. So she might have to go to therapy to figure that out. Like that's the shadow side of Libra. And then we have Scorpio and I love Scorpio energy so much. It is. So I didn't know much about it until about four years ago because my child chose to be born as a Scorpio. And it is so fascinating. It is so deep. Scorpio energy is loyal. It is artistic. It is psychic. It is able to sit in the darkness with others. The energy of Scorpio, the energy of Scorpio is comfortable with death and sex and psychotherapy butchers and veins and blood and the shadow side of the Scorpio energy is that it can get it can it can get stuck in the darkness like how does Scorpio come out and actually enjoy the fact that there is light to be had as a human being can Scorpio energy not get so mm, heavy into the dark and the the shadow side that it it forgets to enjoy a nice cup of tea for example like that might feel too like not even not heavy enough for Scorpio energy so my invitation is how can the Scorpio energy still come out and enjoy like frolicking on a beach <laughs> that's like the opposite energy of Scorpio energy so that's my imagination and we have Sagittarius which I love, I have a lot of Sagittarian energy myself. It is, Sagittarius is related to travel, to nature, to the guru, to being the student, to higher learning and education. And the shadow side of Sagittarius is it can be a little, it can be blunt, too blunt. It's so interested in the truth that it forgets that when it speaks the truth, it might hurt 
someone's feelings. Like it loses the ability to remember that it's words have an impact on the listener. So it's too blunt. It can be excess. Sagittarius can be excessive, like, oh, I drank so much less than I have such a hangover, like that kind of energy, too much partying, too much, too much fun. So there's that possibility with Sagittarius. I feel like that might be the shadow. Next, we have Capricorn energy. And for me, Capricorn is, I've always been so attracted to Capricorn energy because it feels so practical and grounded. It is an earth sign. It is the energy. I feel like it's very elegant and classy. It is it's always doing the next right thing. When you want to know that you'll have like all the supplies that you need for like anything for like, oh, my baby's coming. Oh, my, I'm having a party. Oh, I'm, my house is getting built. Capricorn people will usually bring the right, the exact right thing. Like, oh, here's a diaper tower. Oh, here's a, a brand new set of tools. Um, it's really, am- oh, here's a sushi tray. It's, it's such a beautiful and thoughtful and elegant sign, but it also can get stuck in the business as usual and not be able to see beyond the fact that there is the 3D universe. Again, it's an earth sign like Taurus. So for Capricorn to be awakened, to be awakened to the fact that there is spirit, takes a very it takes a Capricorn that's willing to step outside of its box. Like, oh, I'm not doing this nine to five anymore. What else is there? Oh gosh, do I dare to explore it or do I feel scared? Can I sit with the fear as I'm exploring it? So these are all questions that I think can come up for a Capricorn that are challenges. We have Aquarius, which is the genius of the Zodiac. It also is known, I've heard it described as like the extraterrestrials who have come to incarnate here on planet Earth to help us at this time. Thank you, Aquarians. Um, It's very smart, very able to have a big picture, like to step back and have a big picture of what's going on. The, the shadow side of Aquarius is it can be quite detached and cold and actually not be able to feel into its feelings because it's so cerebral. It's so smart. So my invitation for Aquarius energy is, can you actually drop into your body? Can you drop into your heart and feel your feelings and see what that's like and that you can bear it and that you probably won't die from feeling your feelings. And then Pisces we have is the grand finale of the Zodiac. And Pisces energy is the connection with all that is, the artist, the cosmos, oneness, um, compassion, empathy, feeling everyone else's feelings. And the shadow side of Pisces is self-undoing, self-sabotage, um, laziness, sleepiness, depression, mental illness. Um, I've struggled with all of those as a Pisces son. So and I also work with the other, the, the lighter, the high vibration of it. So it's really all the signs have all those potentials and it is our free will that allows us to work with the higher energies. If we are so able in this lifetime. That was so luscious. That is so informative, that breakdown. And I love so many things you said, mm. a few of them I want to point out and highlight to our listeners. So first of all, each sign is associated with an element and, and we have 12 of these signs we're speaking of. And so there are four elements, correct? Earth, water, fire, air. Yes. And so that means that three of each of these 12 signs is an earth, three are associated with water, three fire, three air, correct? 
Yes, go. So I love this because, you know, as modern mystics, it is this moving towards more earth-based multiverse practices. Yes. And um, so paying attention not just to the moon and the sun, but also in addition to the rhythms of nature, that's the elements. They're such a portal. They're such a way in, in my experience. Yes. Yes. I love that you touched on that and spoke of that. Can you give a recap? So thinking about the the signs in this way. So the three earth signs are Taurus, Virgo, and Capricorn. And the three water signs are Cancer, and Scorpio and Pisces. Three fire signs are? Leo and Sagittarius and Aries. And the three air signs are? Gemini, Libra, Aquarius. Now I've, heard this, I've heard this term um, of fixed and then mm-hmm. cardinal and mutable. And these three, they're really three terms refer to each element and each sign. So can you speak to that? This is a little more advanced or a lot more advanced, I know, but there are going (laughs) to be some listeners who are more adept and familiar with this whole um, languaging. So can you speak to those, please? Sure. Um, The cardinal signs are signs that begin a season in in our in our hemisphere so aries begins spring that's a cardinal sign cancer begins summer libra begins fall and capricorn begins winter and cardinal signs tend to be signs that are doers they get up and go they start things they begin things they are able they are like they're not they don't care for themselves necessarily by going and resting and meditating in a cave they get up and make they make things happen so that's the cardinal energy then the fixed energy is um, Taurus is fixed earth. And we have Leo, which is fixed fire. We have Scorpio, which is fixed water and Aquarius, which is fixed air. And the fixed signs are really reliable. They're steady, they're loyal, and they can get stuck. So when change comes, like actually what the change that we're happening now with Uranus, which is shocks and surprises and earthquakes in Taurus, which is the most fixed sign it can be really hard for all the fixed signs. It can, cause all of the fixed signs are getting affected by this change. And so like, if you check on one of the astrologers wrote, check on your fixed sign people right now, like anyone who's a Leo or an Aquarius or a Taurus, um, please fit and Scorpio, they might be having an extra hard time right now with all the change. And, and it's then, so interesting because what I'm hearing you saying is that then, you know, even though, there are fire signs and water signs and air signs, and there's some commonalities between all of them. Then there are also this other thread of commonalities between the different elements. But if there's one of each element that are fixed, there's one of each element that's cardinal, there's one of each element that is mutable. And so there's another thread um, to think about when yes. things are going on planetarily speaking. Yes, yes. Correct. The mutable signs are which ones, please? The mutables are Gemini, Virgo, Sagittarius, and Pisces. And they are, they go this way and that, and they're much more adaptable and it's harder for them to find stability. So I have a lot of mutable energy in my chart and I have struggled with mood swings for a lot of my life. So that's the shadow side of the mutable signs. So it's not only thinking about, okay, 
say you're speaking with sun sign. This is my sun sign, but then one can reflect and dig deeper. Okay, my sun sign is that of air, but then which quality of air, right? That's a refinement. Um, And again, a way to know yourself even better. Yes. That's so helpful. I love hearing about that. So, so helpful. Great. I loved what you said about higher vibration and this whole idea how we all have these energies going and flowing through our charge and then it's our choice, our free will. How are we going to be in alignment with them? Higher vibration, like you said, is such a great term, right? Mm-hmm. How am I going to move towards a higher vibration? Because anything can be right and uh, to our advantage or it can be to our detriment. So yeah. that was a great, fabulous um, demonstration and elucidation of them all. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So with getting one's chart, what does that mean? How do how does one do this? Are there free apps online? Do we need to know your time of birth? Is, is there any leeway with that for people who don't have that? Yes. Well, you you can go. I know one. There are several sites on which you can get your chart for free. The one I use is astro.com. A S is in Sam. T as in Tracy. R O dot com, and there will be a place where you can it says free horoscopes and then you can bring up your natal chart ascendant that's um natal chart is the chart you chose with which you chose to be born and there's all different ways to draw up a chart but if your listeners are simply starting right now then i would invite them to just do what the easiest path of least resistance on that site and then it does matter it does matter if you have you need to have your exact minute of birth if you want to really know your rising sign and your moon sign um otherwise that can really vary because even down to the minute however i do work with people who don't know their exact minute of birth and we can still talk about the planets that are slower moving in their charts. For example, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, and those all have a very big energy and we can talk about how they affect a person's life. So that can still be very helpful, even if you don't know the exact minute of birth. And also, Natalie, isn't it true that you can also, and I know it's more of a a guessing game, but you can do it in an informed way that you can sometimes look at a person and their personality and then work backwards from there. Okay. Yes. So this, but then you, you're really, you know, my tendency is this. And then Natalie, you'd be able to tell me, well, you're probably this then. Yes, I would. I definitely do that with some people like, Oh, I'm imagining you're a Pisces rising and you, you have a Gemini moon based on what you're telling me. So I can get, I can narrow it down a little more that way, which is, is nice. It can feel validating for the person, for the client. For sure. And in terms of any resources online, um, books, do you recommend any of these? Yes. Well, in terms of books and online resources, I actually am not, I don't learn from reading very well. So I have always learned from listening to podcasts and listening to videos. So I have a whole list of podcasts and videos, astrological including my own, that I would be happy to send to you and we can list them for the listeners underneath. How does that land with you? Great. We'll f- find a way to get that information with links, sharing those soon. Great. And I am just so 
happy for the listeners and so grateful that you came today and you literally lit up the sky of our minds with this amazing technology that you are such a master of. Thank Natalie you. is uh, generously offering amazing discounts to our listeners, to you. So go check them out. Explore my Patreon page at patreon.com slash modern mystic love to find them. With each podcast, I also, for my Patreon people, will be offering personal videos, downloads. For this one, I'm going to share my way that I track the moon cycles, which is really easy and accessible. So for people who want to donate monthly to support this offering, check that out and see. There are going to be so many goodies there. And you can get a reading with Natalie, my personal astrologer, anchor, wisdom keeper, and go-to goddess for all things astrology and self-knowing. So Natalie... How can people find you, your website, natalielivinastrologyyogaopera.com? That's correct. And if people want to reach out to me, I am on Facebook at Natalie Levin. um, And I usually have some sort of photos of cats and also me up there. And I also have my my amazing... um, Natalie Levin Yoga Opera Glitter Astrology is my Facebook page, my like business page. And on YouTube, on Instagram, you can also please find me at Natalie Levin um, Astrology Yoga Opera, I think is my name. It's incredibly long. So I don't think it's hard to miss. It isn't just Natalie <laughs> Astrology Opera. Like I said early on, there's no one who does what Natalie does. So you type in any of those words, Yoga Opera astrology glitter and with natalie and you'll get her and also your youtube channel because that is fabulous and natalie (laughs) is just a performer used to be a professional opera singer and still is from time to time when she's not being the amazing mama she is and so your your channel and your offerings are so captivating because not all astrologers are professional performers oh thank you yeah my my channel is simply natalie levin it's pretty uh, straightforward so and you'll see a picture of me with a lot of glitter all over my face because i enjoy glitter well again thank you for bringing sparkle to all of our days the curiosity to go deeper in this profound blueprint of self-knowing. Natalie, thank you so much. Thank you. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you for taking these words in. I hope they ground, inform, and inspire you on your journey of the mystic path. If you like what you heard, please write me a review on whichever platform you are listening Also, check out my exciting Patreon page at patreon.com slash modernmysticlove, where I offer all sorts of uplifting yoga classes, meditation classes, and other amazing offerings from my guests on this podcast to all my incredible supporters. Even folks who donate at the $5 a month level are so appreciated as every cent helps this busy mama of three. Or check out my website, modernmystic.love, where you can purchase yoga videos of all levels with me, ranging from gentle yoga up through advanced asana, and also meditation videos there. Keep on meeting the present moment where the magic lives, one breath at a time.
Namaste.